distro-hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England. And I am Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest. We love checking distros out, new distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity, or desktop, or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro, or better understand one which has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we will each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three or four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials and tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. Tony and I prefer to look at distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. While I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we will also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected Welcome to the beginning of the fourth year of Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 32, recorded on May 3rd, 2022. This episode, we're taking on LMDE5 and SmartOS. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. Well, Dale came through town recently and we spent a bit of time hanging together, a grand time and some food was had by all. I have reconfigured both of my laptops and am preparing them for next month's show by installing lots and lots of Ubuntu. What's going on with you, Dale? A few days after recording the previous episode, I celebrated my 48th birthday. Much of my time was spent visiting friends for dinner, along with a few Skype and Zoom calls with some non-local friends. Due to some rapidly changing weather at home, my sinuses were not happy. Soon when I wasn't visiting friends in person or online, I was in bed in low-light conditions watching TV and messaging on my phone. I didn't do many computer-related activities other than my social activities. I will have a lot more to report next episode. This week that I've been home, I have been more into my uh, computer hobbies than uh, compared to the last time. As far as work, Mother Nature hasn't been uh, really fun uh, this spring. I must say it's been the windiest spring in recent memory. I went from Ohio to Southern California along the Mexican border, then to Kentucky. Following that, I went to Texas. I spent a day there and eventually left for Tennessee. Due to the receiving customer's request, I had to deliver a day later than intended. Well, that is the short version. As Moss previously mentioned, I was able to visit him and his wife. From there, I drove to California into the Los Angeles area. My next load was just south of there near uh, Long Beach, California, going to Texas. Once in Texas, I did some other in-state deliveries, which is quite time-consuming given the size of the estate of Texas. I think it's one of our second or third largest states. Finally, from there, I drove to Ohio to uh, deliver and go home. All of that was in total about 12,200 miles. So how about you, Tony? Oh, well, a couple of weeks ago, I was asked to rescue a nice little fourth-generation i5 laptop 
Windows 10 was just uh, crawling along and taking uh, a long time to do anything. So after a discussion with the owner about what he would use the laptop for, he decided he'd like to try Linux and upgrade uh, the spinning HDD to a SSD and upgrade the RAM from 4 to 8 gig. So I installed Linux Mint Mate on the machine and after the hardware upgrades with his OK, I also purchased a USB 3 2.5 inch caddy for the spinning HDD so that it had uh, additional extra storage and because we didn't do anything to that drive he could revert back to Windows if he uh, had any issues with Linux. But the latter wasn't needed. Uh, I told him to give me a call if he was having any issues with the laptop. And then when I saw him a couple of weeks later, he said, everything's running tickety-boo. He did have a little hardware issue with the laptop. The uh, Wi-Fi uh, cut in, in and out. That was a hardware issue. Uh, he had to switch the Wi-Fi on to get it to reconnect. But he's uh, connected using an Ethernet cable and everything's working. So instead of spending several hundred uh, pounds on a new laptop for 70 quid he got an ssd a ram upgrade and an external caddy for the hard drive and a reliable and now fairly rapid laptop which uh, it now boots in about 30 uh, seconds compared to over three minutes previously so he's very happy for me i've been doing a little modeling but for the last 17 days it's been uh, the snooker world championship here in the uk and I've been spending a lot of time on the sofa glued to the TV. The final was uh, over Sunday and yesterday, and it was a really exciting match. Things have got back to normal now, so I'll be spending a bit more time with Linux. So, uh, what's been happening with you, Josh? Well, I uh, have been regretting my decision to build my servers around Snap applications. Surprise, surprise. <sighs> sure, they are easy to get going, and sure... They are easy to maintain, but what happens when you want to switch to another container-based system? I will tell you what happens. Nothing good. I spent maybe two or three hours searching the web for a solution to this, but found nothing. Uh, the closest thing I have found is a project started by Alan Pope that will turn your Snap applications into flat packs. The issue with this is that it's in early alpha and I don't want to chance anything myself. Uh, so at this point, I am forced to manually migrate my data, aka meaning setting up my services and then adding the raw data to it. In the case of Plex, I have to go and mark all my shows and movies I have already watched um, by hand. This experience has ruined snaps for me altogether. I thought at first they were really great, and they are if you plan on using them f um, from now to the end of time. But if you ever want to migrate, uh, good luck. With that out of the way, I can get to the good news. I received a tower PC from Dale that I have turned into my Proxmox server. Thanks, Dale. Uh, I am now basing my server infrastructure around Proxmox and LXC, otherwise known as Linux containers. Why I chose this is twofold. One, because Proxmox supports LXC very well, and two, LXC is basically a stripped-down VM that shares a kernel with the host system. Basically, LXC is a customized root environment that keeps it contained in its container. The main advantages to LXC is much lower resource usage than a VM. I'm running my Plex LXC on 512 megabytes of RAM. I actually had to upgrade that to a gig of RAM uh, only because 
it seemed to crash when it had to transcode video, unfortunately. Otherwise, it did work if, it did, if you didn't have to transcode video. But typically, it only uses 185 megabytes of RAM unless it's transcoding. I'll be working on my next cloud soon. Actually, I got that halfway done. I did not update this. But that will be another story. Nextcloud needs a LAMP stack to host the data and web interface. Um, LAMP stands for Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. Traditionally, LXC was not designed to run multiple applications inside of it, but I am going to give this a shot to get Nextcloud running. Let's face it, at this point, anything is better than snap packages. Let's move on to updates. Updates, where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. I just learned there's a new version of LXQT version 1.1. I'm trying to find a distro using it so I can check it out. All the Ubuntu's have updated, including the two major respins, Unity and Cinnamon. I also found a new version of Linux Lite, a nearly forgotten distro which does everything. Incidentally, uh, Unity is really cool. Uh, he's got Calamaris running as the installer. He's got Nemo running as the uh, file manager. And uh, he's got it all running flat packs. I'm not sure it's ever going to be an official flavor if he keeps doing things right. <laughs> Dale, what about you? In our Telegram group, listener Biku shared a blog post on how to boot Arch Linux or Manjaro from Grub2 from another distribution. Because that seems to be a, an issue trying to do boot um, anything with uh, Manjaro and uh, Arch Linux. So I thought I would uh, share it. I will have the link in the update portions of the show notes. Zero Linux's dev announced that he is only going to support KDE Plasma Edition starting in May of this year. He wrote that he didn't have time to properly support it and give it the time it deserved. He's a uh, one-man show. The Solus Project updated their glibc library, requiring about 1,000 rebuilds to use this update. Slackle released version 7.5 of their Openbox edition. It offers kernel 5.15.12 and updates from Slackware's current branch. They removed WICD and replaced it with Network Manager for connecting to networks. So we move on to Tony. I haven't got anything this month, so uh, over to you, Josh. Well, Fedora 36 beta is almost ready. Uh, the team had to push the release back to, um, well, I say May 3rd, but I think it got pushed back to May 10th, actually. They're just having a couple of issues um, that are stopping them from releasing it with uh, a couple of bugs. Deepin uh, 20.5 has been released with kernel 5.15.24 and a slew of other improvements, which is uh, pretty nice, even though I don't use that distro. Um, anyone who uses it, it will be uh, well uh, received. Uh, so let's now move on to our beautiful failures. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. I have been trying to get the latest version of Solid K to install and run. The latest version, 12, seems to be packaged without a Wi-Fi mod. I have installed version 10 and run scripts to update it to 11, which forgets to change the address of the repos, and spent far too much time on this. I've been in and out of this forum. They are friendly and helpful, but I'm not close. I have also been trying to get to know LMDE5LC, but it seems to believe that I have a RAID 6 setup on my laptop and quite often boots to an init RAM FS prompt. 
I have reinstalled it several times, run FSDK a couple, but it keeps the same. On a self-inflicted note, I managed to completely dick up my Ubuntu before on my and had to completely install it, which was a tragedy, as some of the things I use are no longer available. I was trying to uninstall Bluetooth as I have news for it on, and managed to wipe several libraries used by Cody, which reported as uninstallable. I have also finally broken Arco Links. I broke it by using regular updates. Apparently, I'm not supposed to use... Why do they put an automatic update manager in a program if it breaks the system if you use it more than a few? So I am now out of Arch altogether, and uh, because it's Dale's turn. Yes, and the uh, oddities continue. My Debian testing install on my desktop had an odd conundrum. There was a huge update to the GNOME stack, the uh, core packages, along with Xorg. I was notified that to install the updates, app needed to remove my NVIDIA binary driver. I was using the NVIDIA 510 series binary from their website. Since I had an image of my installation, though a bit old, I proceeded with the upgrade, just to see what happens. Upon that uh, reboot is when Things went odd. I was expecting to fall back to Nouveau, which is not a big deal for me since I don't game. But I was still using the NVIDIA binary. Here's the odd thing. Except 90% of the NVIDIA control panel was missing. I wasn't feeling well and didn't feel like doing anything to correct it because of my sinus issues. Luckily, everything appeared to work fine despite that. I did reinstall testing while I was home this past week. Though I will leave the interesting details of what happened then for the uh, next episode, so stay tuned. So it's Josh's turn. So um, I already mentioned my snap failure. On another note, Windows has been giving me issues not surprisingly. Um, every time I update my Intel drivers in my laptop, uh, Windows Update wants to automatically downgrade me to what it thinks is best. I have gone as far as make group policies and also registry edits to prevent this, but nothing has worked. Windows has a mind of its own, albeit not a very smart mind. Another issue I have been having is on my HP Stream laptop. My trackpad will just randomly stop working all of a sudden. I have tried many distros and all of them do the same thing except CentOS Stream 9, surprisingly. I have no idea what exactly in CentOS fixed this but it has. I literally just tried this as kind of a joke to fix the issue, but alas, it did work. Uh, I really don't know. I was skeptical about CentOS 9 Stream, but it's basically Fedora 34, uh, the snapshot of that, and they're just continuing that on for the rest of its life cycle for Stream 9. So um, it's actually pretty cool, but I will get into that in another episode. So uh, on to you, Tony. Well, I haven't got anything uh, about failures this month, so should we check in with Dale for his review? Well, that sounds like a good idea. This month I have LMDE5 LC Cinnamon Edition, which kind of redundant, but I'll get to that. <laughs> So LMDE is a project from Linux Mint that uses Debian as a base instead of Ubuntu. This is a contingency plan in case they ever need to rebase Linux Mint on Debian for whatever reason. 
Their goal is to be able to maintain the user experience despite the underlying base. It also allows them to guarantee the compatibility of their packages outside of the uh, Ubuntu ecosystem. The name is an abbreviation of Linux Mint Debian Edition. Here is a brief but not a complete history. An alpha of LMDE was released on January 1st of 2008 using Debian testing. This first official release was on uh, September 7th of 2010. LMDE was Linux Mint's rolling release distribution. It used GNOME, as did Linux Mint. This is before Cinnamon was created. On April 4th of 2011, the XFCE edition was released for both Mint and LMDE. Later that year, on November 26th, MGSE replaced GNOME. And that's another acronym, which uh, stood for Mint Gnome Shell Extension. It used Gnome, but provided a improved user interface. In the same month, Mate, which is a fork of Gnome 2, was added. MGSC was renamed Cinnamon once it reached version 2 in November of 2013, and was its own desktop environment without the uh, dependency of Gnome. On April 10th of 2015, version 2 of LMDE, codenamed Betsy, was released on Debian Stable version 8, codenamed Jesse. LMDE 3, codenamed Cindy, was based on Debian 9 Stretch. That's the codename for Debian on that release. And it was released on August of uh, 2018, August 31st to be specific. It was decided by Linux Mint that LMDE 3 would only offer Cinnamon. Going forward, LMDE would be their backup plan. If anything happened to Ubuntu for whatever reason, they would follow the release cadence of Debian and offer no point releases of LMDE. Only security fixes are applied to their Debian base along with the continuous updates of the Mint packages. LMDE 4 Debian was based on Debian 10 Buster. Released on March 20th of 2020, the current version of LMDE5, codename LC, is based on Debian 11 Bullseye, released on March 20th, 2022. And when I wrote that uh, title there, when I said Cinnamon Edition, is I had completely forgot that they stopped supporting the XFCE, and I just forgot to go back and change that. So my hardware is my old Lenovo ThinkPad T460. is a dual-core i5-6200U, 2.8 GHz CPU, 14-inch display using the HD Graphics 520. has 16 GB of RAM and a 500 GB SSD. Installation ease and issues. The installation is similar to Linux Mint. The same questions of language, keyboard, time and date, and user creation are the same. You have the option to encrypt your home folder. I choose not to for this review. The disk partitioning allows for automated, what they call erase the disk and install LMDE. The use of LVM, which is logical volume management, a process of combining all of your storage drives into one volume. Or manual partitioning. I chose the manual because I wanted to dual boot with Debian testing. They're automatic. Like I said, wipes everything and installs LMD, unlike other distros where the automatic will detect that.
In any case, it was fairly easy to select the partition I wanted to use. Gparted opened and selected SDA4 where Gecko was previously there. I formatted that partition of uh, ext4. I exited gparted and then right clicked on sda4 from their uh, installation for the uh, partition information. From there I chose to assign it to the uh, root partition. I did not need to do anything with the swap partition because the next distros can share swap space. It had already selected it for use. On the following screen I chose to install grub to the uh, dev slash sda. I did that since Gecko was in control of Grub when it was installed and uh, dual booting it with Debian testing. The next screen showed my installation choices. From there I clicked install. Once the installation was finished I was asked if I wanted to restart my computer. There was no prompt to remove the USB stick so remember to do that or are you going to be uh, boot looping if the machine does that. Some don't. Some you have to do the magic key in order to uh, boot off of an external drive. Post-installation hardware facts and no issues were found. Ease of use. The experience of LMDE is very similar to Linux Mint. The main difference is the packages are sourced from Debian instead of Ubuntu. Given that they are using Debian 11 Bullseye, some packages may be a version or so older. I know that can be a point of contention amongst Linux users. Some insist on having the most current packages. Since these packages have security fixes applied, the only thing that they are missing is new features. I've always wondered if the people that complain about Debian packages being old or outdated have ever compared the features between the current and the existing Debian packages. Are they really needing those features or are they just finding something to complain about? One quirky thing I noticed was during the setting of the local mirrors or the software manager. After the speed check and selecting the mirrors, the software center asked me a second time if I wanted to switch to a local mirror. I checked no, but looked at the settings to see if my previous choices saved, and they were. I noticed that each time I would have updates, and I opened the uh, software manager, I was asked if I wanted to switch to a local mirror. Once again, I verified that these were saved, and they still were. Subsequent updates, I just ignored it and say no I don't want to change because it's kind of redundant. If you are a TimeShift user or you're interested in becoming one, TimeShift is available. It is a backup system for uh, Linux Mint. It's something they, they uh, use in the Linux Mint edition as well. It will use BTRFS or rsync, but you have to remember to either install using BTRFS or have a drive that is formatted that way. If not, the only choice is rsync, which is still usable, but it's a little slower. A couple of nice things as a Debian user using LMDE is you have Firefox 99 installed. In vanilla Debian, you have Firefox ESR 91 extended security release. As a side note, you can install Firefox 99 in uh, Debian using the SID repos but requires adding them to your app sources list and creating rules preventing apt from using the SID repos by default. That's a very important thing because if you don't, next time you do an apt upgrade, you are going to be running SID if that's not what you intended. Flatpak is enabled by default 
and is available via the software manager. The software manager is the same as Linux Mint uh, functionality-wise. The use of the flat packs somewhat eliminates the problem of older Debian packages if new versions are desired. I like how flat packs are marked with which hub they are from, like uh, FlatHub, for example. It differentiates them from Deb packages. The cinnamon spices, which are applets you can add to your cinnamon desktop, are also updated via the uh, software manager. In previous versions, this was handled separately. I think Mint did that either in uh, the .3 release or the past .2 release of Linux Mint but it made its way into LMDE because its release cycle, is, like I said, is based on Debian's release cycle and Linux Mint's. Currently, LMDE is using kernel 5.10.0-14 and Cinnamon version 5.2.7. The theming of Cinnamon is very nice. The dark mode is very consistent. I installed VLC via FlatHub, and the dark theme was used as if it was a, a native package. Memory and disk use. 22 gigabytes of space used on the SSD. I'm thinking the uh, the extra space was the flat packs and and uh, and stuff I installed. 646 megabytes of memory is used reporting by free-h and 677 megabytes by free-mega. I want to thank Eris, a member of our Telegram group, for pointing out the difference. Apparently there's some change over the default being megabytes and gigabytes versus mebibytes and gigabytes or whatever they call them. It's basically a difference of using decimal, like 1,000 is 1,000 megs or a gigabyte, or the uh, 1024 in the binary type counting where 1024 is a K, which another gripe I have because I'm getting older and fixing things that are not broken. Ease of finding help. I did not need to seek out any help. They do use the same forums as Linux Mint does, along with Reddit, Discord, and Telegram. I've been a member of the Telegram group for many years and Discord for the past couple of years. Though I haven't seen many questions about LMDE that I can remember. I think there's been some. Stability. Considering LMDE is using Debian Stable as a base, you are not going to have any problem. In my previous experience running Linux Mint on my desktop, I found it to be very reliable. Similar distros to check out. Linux Mint Cinnamon. You can, if you want, install Debian with Cinnamon. Or you can try Ubuntu also if you, if you care. Though you're not going to get the uh, packages that Linux Mint has created just for Linux Mint. That's why I don't really suggest anything else. If you want to have the real experience, you pretty much have the choices of the uh, different flavors that Linux Mint. For my ratings, ease of installation for a new user, I'm going to call it 6 out of 10. Experience user, 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. I'm not rating the uh, finding help, though my experience in the uh, Telegram group, I would give them 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 10 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 of 10. My overall rating is 8 out of 10. My final comments. The caveat for the ease of installation rating is based on 
doing an automatic versus the manual install. For a new user using the automatic install, they shouldn't have a problem. There could be some issues if they're trying to do the manual installation. And it all depends if they're trying to dual boot. If they're just wiping and installing, they're going to have no, no problem. It is not very intuitive because it just opens Gparted and it's up to you to uh, or them to uh, make the changes, which I can see how that could be a problem because you're just looking at your partition information and you may not even know what partition information even is. I think better on-screen documentation would be helpful. A little instruction goes a long way. I'm sure once they are shown what is needed, it would be a much better uh, experience. For Based on my prior experience using Linux Mint 18 a few years ago on my desktop, I didn't find much of a difference using LMDE. If it weren't for the fact that I'm really enjoying GNOME 42 on my Debian testing, LMDE would probably be my second choice of a distro for my daily use. If you are a fan of Debian, but you like the way Linux Mint functions, I would have no problems with recommending LMDE. Thanks, Dale. Now let's check in with Josh. Uh, so for this month, I uh, reviewed Smart OS. I'm going to preamble uh, this with a warning. This is not a Linux distro. Um, it is based on Solaris and is very different from Linux. <laughs> yeah. That being said, uh, this is a fascinating OS. SmartOS is a Type 1 hypervisor platform for virtual machines. Type 1 meaning it is a bare metal hypervisor that gives its VMs all the performance of a bare metal machine. SmartOS is a mod podge of technology. It starts off by using zones, which are similar to uh, FreeBSD jails or Linux containers. Zones basically give all the benefits of a VM without the overhead of running an entire OS within a zone. It also implements something called LX, basically Linux emulation, so that Linux applications do not have to be recompiled for smart OS. It uses a ported version of KVM and QEMU, so it can talk directly with the hardware using Intel VMX support. Finally, it also uses FreeBSD Beehive um, hypervisor to host Windows or Linux full VM image. There is no GUI for this. Um, it is all command line based, um, but it has amazingly good tooling for VM management. My hardware, as usual, it's the uh, Acer Predator Helios 300 with the i7-11800H. 16 gigabytes of 3200 megahertz RAM, the my NVIDIA 3060 mobile GPU, which really doesn't matter for this, and uh, a Samsung Pro uh, 840 SSD. Installation ease and issue. You don't actually install SmartOS. The OS runs fully in RAM. And uh, when you go through the initial installer, you are actually just configuring the system. Once SmartOS is configured, when you need to upgrade, you simply download the upgraded SmartOS image, and when the system is rebooted, it reads the config file you defined on the initial boot and restores everything as it was before. The installation process is actually really simple. You boot from your flash USB, and then you're presented with a grub-like screen that gives you a few options. You can just pick Boot SmartOS. You are then presented with a fully text installer. It basically tells you what to do. You just need to enter what you want, such as if you want a static IP or use DHCP, 
and your gateway IP to access the internet from your router. SmartOS uses ZFS as its file system and you are prompted to make a ZFS file system on the initial setup. The first thing you gotta do is define a zpool, which you have the options of Stripe, Mirror, RAID Z1, RAID Z2, or RAID Z3. And RAID Z1, 2, and 3 are all just versions of RAID 5, 6, and so on. You can also select default and it will just select whatever the default is, which I found out and that is mirror. It always defaults to a mirror. After configuring the storage, it asks you if you want any third party tools. I always just say yes because I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. I know that might be a little crazy for security reasons, but for this podcast, definitely rather have it so I can test it. Finally, it prompts you for a root password, and then you're done. It quickly goes over the config you have set and asks you if you want to uh, confirm if it's correct. Um, Post-installation hardware facts and issues. SmartOS uses zones, which is inspired by FreeBSD jails. Zones are virtualized instances of SmartOS that behave like an isolated system. Zones share a common kernel with the system, but are totally process isolated from one another. To me, zones seem exactly like LXC Linux containers. SmartOS has what it calls a global zone that is the parent zone for all other zones. The global zone is not persistent and needs to be loaded new at every boot unless a configuration file is defined in a specific directory uh, to be read and applied at boot time. I'm not sure where that directory is exactly. Um, I know they mentioned it, but I did not add it here. So for my first try at installing the this OS, I tried installing it on my one uh, HP laptop, and that was a total failure. It would load, but then it would have a ton of errors and seemed to be hardware related, so I assumed it was driver issues, considering it's Solaris and I don't know what kind of drivers. I then installed it on my laptop, I stated above in the hardware section, and that seemed to work normally. Once installed, I could begin creating zones. The first thing you must do to create a zone is download a zone image. Basically the image is the back end for the zone. SmartOS gives you many options from SmartOS images to Linux images. Once I downloaded the image, I downloaded a SmartOS image and a Debian 11 image, you must create a JSON file that tells SmartOS how to set up the zone, such as IP addresses and host names. It defines a lot more than that, but I didn't want to get into the nitty gritty of it all. When I tried to create the Debian 11 zone, it kept failing even though I had the correct configuration set. I still do not know why this happened. I then tried the smart OS image and that one was created just fine. I don't know if I have to do some extra setup for a Linux zone or what, but Linux was just not working. I can now log into my new smart OS zone by using the command zlogin and then use the UUID of your installed image. If you forget what your UUID is for your zone, as I did many times, you can use the command vmadm list and it will list your created zones and their UUIDs. I had a basic install so nothing short of SmartOS is installed on this zone so you have to add packages. To do this, you have to use the command pkgsrc. Not sure how to pronounce that but it's literally just letters. I'd say package source. Okay, yeah, I didn't even think that. <laughs> Thank you, Moss. But also, that's known as the uh, NetBSD Package Manager. Uh, when I said this OS has a modpodge of things, I was not lying. <laughs>
This is where I hit my first snag. For the life of me, I could not get networking to work inside of my zones. I read all the documentation and rewrote the JSON file at least 50 times using VI, I might add, but nothing could get my zones to work properly. Unfortunately, this is where I stopped because without an internet connection, I was lost to what to do with this zone since no software is installed by default. Ease of use. This is a very advanced OS and only true sysadmins will want to use this for any kind of server infrastructure. The installation is not that hard, but the use of the OS requires a specific amount of knowledge uh, to operate efficiently. That being said, I believe this OS is great for moderate to advanced users if willing to learn something new. I couldn't get the networking to function, but that was probably my fault in not knowing networking to its full potential. I skipped memory and disk usage because it's not really necessary for VM distro, I guess you could say, because you're just going to add VMs, this distro, and it's going to keep adding more RAM usage, so you can't really get a baseline. It's hard to describe that, and not only that, but it's also the whole OS is in RAM, so you're going to be using a lot of RAM in general because all of the files that are usually on your hard drive are all loaded into RAM, so it's going to be quite a bit, so I just skipped that. Ease of finding help. The documentation is really good for smart OS, but some things are lacking, such as the networking sections being brief and not many good examples were given, hence why I couldn't get networking to Plays nice with others? Probably not unless you consider VMs to be others. This OS was designed to be used on a system in RAM only, so other OSs are not well. Stability. I booted and installed several versions of this OS, and everything seemed to be super stable every time I booted it. Updates don't come very fast for this OS, so it sticks on one version for a long time. Uh, and for this OS, you don't actually update it traditionally. You actually have to download a whole image and then just load that image instead of, you know, doing an, let's say, apt update for uh, Ubuntu and it downloads individual packages. This has all the packages in one, like, let's say, zip file, and it'll load that file up all into RAM at one time. Gaming Ease, I skipped because it's a virtual machine OS. Similar distros to check out uh, Proxmox and uh, FreeBSD. I say Proxmox because it's the direct like competitor to this one, and I say FreeBSD because this uses a lot of BSD um, applications in the background. Uh, it's Solaris, it's Unix, you know, it's closer to BSD than it is, at least in my thinking. So my ratings. Ease of installation for a new user. I gave it 6 out of 10 because it kind of walks you through with the text interface, so I mean maybe someone else would give it a lower rating, but for me, I think a new user could get this installed per se by just following the steps. Um, experienced user, definitely 9 out of 10, probably 10 out of 10 because it basically just walks you through. Hardware issues, I gave it a 6 out of 10 because you probably have to have very specific hardware to get this to work properly because of it being Solaris. Ease of finding help, um, I gave it 9 out of 10 because their documentation is very good. Like they have a lot of stuff that's documented. Like even the networking stuff is documented, but there's not a lot of examples. So that's why I had issues. If I knew networking like inside and out, I probably could have got it working no problem with what they gave you. So ease of use, 5 out of 10 because it does take a lot to know to get this running and working properly. Place nice with others, 1 out of 10, probably 0 out of 10 because you're not supposed to dual boot this at all. Uh, stability, 10 out of 10, because I didn't have any issues at all. Uh, it seemed to work well every time I loaded it. Nothing went wrong. Everything loaded properly, except for the, you know, hardware issues I had initially with the um, my HP lab. My overall rating was 6.5 out of 10. Final comment. 
SmartOS I know has potential and seems to be very good as a type 1 hypervisor. I just didn't have enough time with it to really learn all of its ins and outs. I know if I use this day in and day out for many months or years it would become second nature to me. I really have a soft spot for hypervisor OS's because I have used hypervisors so much in the past and they are so useful. I would love to do more reviews on hypervisor OS's like this in the future. Uh, Solaris is based on Sun OS which is a direct descendant of the original Unix from the 1970s. So uh, let's move on to new releases. New releases since last episode from March 24th to May 1st. 4M Linux 39.0, Parrot 5.0, Porteous Kiosk 5.4.0, Phoenix 124, Gparted 1.4.0-1, Deepin 20.5, Nitrex 2022-0402, Maybox 22.04, Elive 3.8.27, Alpine 3.15.4, Q4OS 4.8, CloudReady 9.4.36, Selks 7, Tails 4.29, Raspi OS 2022-04-04, System Rescue 9.02, MX Linux 21.1, Endeavor OS 22.1, Kodachi 8.16, Reborn OS 2022.04.10, Archcraft 2022.04.07, Turnkey 17.0, KDE Neon 2022.0414, Sparky Linux 2022.04, EasyNAS 1.0.2, PC Linux OS 2022.04, Manjaro 21.2.6, EasyOS 3.4.6, Archman 2022.04, SysLinux OS 11.3, AV Linux MX 21.1, Kodachi 8.20, OpenBSD 7.1, SmartOS 2022.04.21, Ubuntu Mate 22.04, Xubuntu 22.04, Ubuntu Studio 22.04, Ubuntu Budgie 22.04, Ubuntu Chillin 22.04, Lubuntu 22.04, Kubuntu 22.04, Ubuntu 22.04, Snell 1.17, Open Mamba 2022.0423, PC Linux OS 2022.04.20, Nutix 22.04.6, Garuda 2.20424, Pop OS 22.04, Open Media Vault 6.0.24, Blue Star 5.17.4, IPFire 2.27 Core 167, Open Media Vault 6.0.24, Voyager Live 22.04, Kodachi 8.21, Arco Linux 2022.05.02, RDS 18.2, KOS 2022.04, Zephix 5, Fugu Ita 7.1, Playmo 7.4, Raspberry Slideshow 15.1, Xtix 22.5, and Arch 2022.05.01. We don't have any feedback to talk about this issue. A 
announcements. Our next episode will be recorded around June 8th, doing as many reviews of Ubuntu 22.04 as we can fit in. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group, our MeWe group, or our Discord channel. Where can our listeners find you, Josh? I'm uh, at Josh on Tech on most social networks. For email, um, you can email me um, Josh on Tech at mintcast.org, which is going away. So you can also email me Josh on Tech at gmail.com. Also, you can find me the Crowbar Kernel Panic Podcast. Where can our listeners find you, Dale? I am at Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord, and my email is Dale underscore cdl at pm.me and you tony yeah you can contact me on uh, distrohopperdigest at gmail.com or you can go to hacker public radio and listen to some of my old mu- muses uh, i'm uh, host id 338 and i'm also on twitter at tony h1212 and you can hear me every week on full circle weekly news and mintcast My email is bardmoss at pm.me, and my Telegram, Discord, Twitter, and Mastodon contact info can be found in the show notes. And you can find me, Dale, and Dylan at itsmoss.com. Before we go... We would like to thank all those who have made this project possible, starting with the Mintcast crew for allowing us to use their Mumble server and Discord group. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity which we use to record and edit the show. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Midair Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stolman for the GNU toolkit, and all those who have worked hard behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. Mm-hmm.